Luke chapter 11, verses 27 to 32. Um, So, as Jesus was saying these things, uh, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a miraculous sign. But none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will be the son of man to this generation. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now one greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now one greater than Jonah is here. Let's uh, pray for a moment before we consider these verses. Father, thank you for your presence with us this morning. Thank you that you are ever living and ever speaking. And you always have something new to say to us when we read your word. So may our hearts and minds be attentive to you this morning, that we may hear what you wish to say to us by your spirit. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What's to say, we're we're back in um, Luke chapter 11 and just recapping a couple of verses from the last time that we were here, uh, just to unpack a couple of important things from verses 27 and 28. As Jesus is teaching, a woman in the crowd calls out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Blessed is the mother, blessed is Mary who gave you birth and nursed you. And absolutely true that Mary was truly blessed to be the mother of our Lord Jesus. Just to go back to very familiar verses in Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, uh, to uh, a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Verse 30, the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. Truly, of all women, Uh, Mary is most blessed. Of all the women of her generation, she's the one that God has chosen to be the mother of the Lord Jesus. Truly, she is blessed. And uh, throughout history, uh, Mary has been seen as someone who's blessed. In some uh, church traditions, the, the veneration and the adoration that is given to Mary not only indicate that she is Blessed, but sometimes even um, more than that, in some traditions, Mary herself has almost been uh, worshipped. And yet, as blessed as she is, what does Jesus say? Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So even though as we look at Mary as, uh, uh, of all women, the one perhaps most blessed... Jesus says, yes, but rather 
are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So even as Mary is blessed, how much more are we blessed who have heard the word of God and obeyed it? Mary gives us, or Mary bears to us, the Lord Jesus. But it's listening to his words and responding to them that allows us to inherit eternal life. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So, um, Mary, yes, is blessed. And uh, we mustn't, as some Protestant traditions have done, is go to the other extreme and throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because in Mary, you have this fantastic example of faith. Mary is one of my um, heroes of the faith. One of my favourite verses is her response to the message that she's given. Where Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. That's an attitude that I um, covet in my own discipleship. Uh, I want to say to the Lord, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. It's that attitude of, of submission, of surrender, of humble obedience that should characterise any and every disciple of the Lord Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, covet I know we're not supposed to cover anything, but as much as you're allowed to cover things, cover that attitude of Mary. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Then Jesus goes on. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. I love the way that Jesus doesn't, uh, he doesn't beat around the bush. And he says it as it is. I've just finished reading um, David Cameron's autobiography for the record, a kind of story of his life and of his years in power. And one of the things that that struck me again is that in in preparation for an election campaign, what politicians do is basically work out what people want to hear because they want to be elected. So they have all these um, endless polling about what issues are important to people and um, and then, they, uh, uh, and then um, they have the sort of focus groups and they interview people and, and they get an idea of what, what do people want to hear? And then those are the messages that they emphasise in the run-up to an election because they want to be popular. And I was struck as I read that at the fact that Jesus never ever does that. Jesus is not interested in being popular. He's interested in telling the truth and saying things as they are. He's not bothered about the crowds and he's not interested in the crowds increasing. What he's interested in is telling the truth. And as Christians and as a church, we must always be careful that we tell the truth and we don't just say things that we think will make us popular. Jesus says to this crowd, this is a wicked generation. And the reason that they're a wicked generation and and what we'll unpack in these verses is because even though they are hearing the truth that is being told to them, and even, even though in their midst is the greatest revelation of God, the Lord Jesus, they won't listen and they won't repent. Jesus says to them, you're a wicked generation because even though the truth is in front of you, you won't repent and you won't turn around and face God. And I think Jesus would say exactly the same thing 2,000 years on in our 
own generation, to our own nation, to our own world. This is a wicked generation. This is a wicked nation. This is a wicked world. Why? Because the revelation of God has been given and yet we don't respond. Our hearts are hardened. Sometimes in the the church we fall into the trap of of wanting to preach a message that that just sounds like good news. We say God loves you. God welcomes you. God loves you as you are and welcomes you as you are. Nothing wrong with any of that, but that's not the whole truth. God does love you. He does welcome you. He does welcome you as you are, but you're a rebel. You are rebellious. Uh, You have, if you're a human being, you have mounted, you are part of an insurrection against God. And the first thing that you need to do is lay down your arms and turn away from your insurrection and turn towards God. That's what we are. As human beings, we are rebels. And the first thing we need to do is recognise that and lay down our arms and turn back towards God. That's what Jesus is saying. Saying you are, you're a wicked generation. The gospel is good news. But it's good news because there's bad news. And we have to recognise that bad news. And Paul does the same thing when he writes to a church in Rome. He's writing to them about good news. His whole letter to Rome is about the good news of God. The good news of salvation. But how does he begin? He says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be made known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So that we are without excuse. It's the same thing that Jesus is saying here. He's saying, look, you, the revelation of God is plain to see. But you're not doing anything about it. So a question for you this morning. Are you doing something about the plain revelation of God? Are you doing something to address the fact that you're a rebel? You're an insurrectionist and you need to lay down your arms? This is a wicked generation that asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Uh, People in Jesus' day were asking for proof. You say you're the Messiah, prove it. In our day, I get it all the time on my uh, Turn the Page Facebook feed. Prove that God exists. Uh, Sometimes I just get the comment, there is no God. You can't prove that your God exists. It's always been the same. People want proof. Well, Jesus says, well, I'll give you a sign. And the sign will be the sign of Jonah. Well, what's the sign of Jonah? If you know the story, Jonah is asked by God to go to Nineveh, this great city. Um, uh, Destruction is coming their way. And God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh and tell them that they need to repent. They need to turn their lives around. They need to turn back to God. And if they do that, they'll be saved. Jonah doesn't want to do it. He runs off in the opposite direction. He jumps on a boat. There's a storm. He gets thrown overboard, swallowed by a fish. Three days later, the fish pukes him up on the beach. And then he goes to Nineveh and preaches the message. 
And they do all repent. The sign of Jonah is that Jonah spends three days in the belly of a fish. And then he reappears. And Jesus is saying, well, look, I'm going to disappear for three days. I'm going to disappear into a tomb. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. But then on the third day, I'll come back. I'll defeat death. I'll rise again. That's the sign. That's the only sign that you need. I often say to people who have questions about faith and questions about the Christian faith and questions about Jesus and have all sorts of objections and say, well, why does God allow this and why does that happen? I always say, make a decision about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do your research. Look at the evidence and make a decision about whether or not you can believe That Jesus rose from the dead. And if you um, seriously make that inquiry, the evidence for the resurrection is there. It is compelling. It is convincing. It's one of the reasons that I became a Christian at the age of 17. Because I looked at the evidence for the resurrection. And if you can believe that Jesus rose from the dead, well that vindicates all the other things that he taught and said about himself And then from that perspective, you'll be able to answer all of these other questions that you have. If you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, well, then you can dismiss all the rest of it. But that's the sign. That's the sign that Jesus gave to us that he was the Messiah. And that's the only sign that we need. He says, I'm not going to give you any other signs. That will be sufficient. It was then and it is now. If you have questions about life, about faith, about God, I'd urge you, uh, explore the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Make a decision about that, because everything else flows from that one event. As Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will be the Son of Man to this generation. Uh, Then he goes on, the queen of the south, this is the queen of Sheba that we read about in uh, in the Old Testament, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 10. Uh, King Solomon, one of the greatest kings of the Old Testament, the wisest king of the Old Testament. The queen of Sheba, who lived thousands of miles away, heard about his reputation for being the wisest king. And she travelled because she wanted to see for herself. And this is her testimony once she's been to visit Solomon and has listened to him. She says, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I didn't believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report that I Heard. So the Queen of Sheba has heard this report about Solomon. She's travelled thousands of miles to visit him, to see for herself. And then she discovers that she wasn't even told the half of it. Solomon is even more amazing than she was told. And Jesus is saying, well look, I'm greater than Solomon. And I'm in your midst. And yet you won't recognise me for who I am. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation 
and condemn them. It's a scandalous thing for Jesus to be saying. He's talking to the people of Israel. He's talking to the chosen people of God. And he's saying that on the day of judgment, a Gentile, the Queen of Sheba, will stand and condemn you. It's a terrible indictment. It's a reminder to us also that there will be at the end of time a general resurrection of all people who have ever lived. And on that day, it will be a day of judgment where we will stand before the Lord. Jesus says the Queen of the South will rise at the judgment. Uh, We're in a, a season of our history as a world where we have become incredibly fearful about dying. Incredibly fearful about dying, particularly at the moment, from COVID. It's on our news every day, the numbers of those who have died. In the UK, we're rapidly approaching 100,000. And all our efforts at the moment as a society and as a world are, how can we avoid dying from COVID? And nothing wrong with those endeavours whatsoever. But let's not be distracted from the fact that 100% of us are going to die. If it's not from COVID, it will be from something else at some point. It's going to happen to all of us. So let's not lose sight of the bigger issue, which is not that uh, we're going to die. The bigger issue is at the end of history, we will rise again and stand before a holy God who will judge us and some will be condemned. That's what Jesus says, let me remind you of some very familiar words from John's gospel. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Do you know that to be true for yourself? Do you know that Jesus died for you so that you might not perish, but have eternal life? goes on in John 3:17 God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him whoever believes in him is not condemned do you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son Remember, Jesus has said to this generation, he says, this is a wicked generation. They're rebels. They're insurrectionists against God. They need to lay down their arms and turn back to God. So are we. We're rebels. We're insurrectionists. We uh, stand under condemnation until and unless we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says, this is serious, the Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. Why will they be condemned? Because they haven't recognised what was in front of their faces. They haven't responded to the revelation of God. Verse 32, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment again with this generation and condemn it. Again, this is a terrible indictment because Jesus is saying that the the people of Nineveh who were Gentiles will stand up at the judgment with the people of God 
And it will be the people of God that will end up being condemned because they haven't seen what was in front of their faces, the revelation of God. They repented at the preaching of Jonah. They did something about the message that they received. And now one greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is the one who is greater than Solomon. He's the one who's greater than Jonah. He's the one who's greater than Abraham. He's the one who's greater than Moses. He's the one who's greater than anyone else who has ever lived. Why? Because he is the son of God. That's why we need to give attention to the things that Jesus says. And we need to give attention to the whole message of Jesus. And the whole message of Jesus is one of facing up to the bad news in order that we can welcome the good news. And the bad news is simply that we're rebels. The bad news is that we are insurrectionists who need to lay down our arms. But the good news is that Jesus, in his love, does welcome us, does accept us, accepts you exactly as you are. But because he loves us, he won't leave us as we are. And one of the things that we do as we come in repentance, as we turn our lives around, one of the things that we do in the act of repentance is to recognise that our lives are not all as they should be. That we do need to change. We do need to be forgiven for things that we've gone wrong. We do need to um, come humbly before a Lord and a Saviour who will welcome us and who allows us, who makes that promise to us that as we trust in him, we will live forever. That on that day of judgment, we will stand before him and we won't present to him our good deeds and why we deserve to be in his heaven. We simply say, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my Saviour. So we have the revelation of God. God has spoken. He's spoken through creation. He's spoken through Jesus. He's spoken through his word. The question is, will we humble ourselves and welcome him and acknowledge that we need him? Let's pray for a few moments. and. Um...